0: Hi, I'm Gracie Sarkeesian, the Executive Director at the NYU Wasserman Center, and this is All in a Day's Work, the podcast we've created for you. The NYU network is expansive, and our alumni have an array of unique experiences. All in a Day's Work will bring you episodes featuring members of the NYU community doing interesting work and navigating the professional world. We're excited to share their stories with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hi, and welcome to All in a Day's Work. My name is Sarah Rosenthal, and today I'm speaking with Jessica Swartz, the launch lead for Pfizer's Next Generation Adult Pneumococcal Vaccine. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Hi, Sarah, and hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here.
0: I want to just sort of start off with the fact that you're currently at Pfizer, but your path to this career was very indirect. You started at NYU as a Germanic language and literature major. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what you were doing immediately after graduation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I should just start us off by saying everything that I'm saying is as uh, myself, Jessica, not on behalf of Pfizer. So, yes, yes. I was a Germanic major, mostly because I didn't know what else I wanted to be, (laughs) and I still didn't know when I graduated, but I had been bartending and sort of unofficially the bar manager for a restaurant and nightclub when I was also going to school. And when I graduated, they offered me the general manager position, and I thought, that's a job, that's income, I've got to pay the bills, sounds good.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, that's how a lot of people get started. But after you were doing that, you decided to make a pretty big shift from that work to eventually pursue a PhD in neuropsychology. How did you decide to make that change?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I was continuing to work as a nightclub manager. Uh, I think for about five years, I did that. And realized that that's not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, but I was still clueless and still had no idea what to do. And so I went to the, it was not called the Wasserman Center at the time, but um, (laughs) I went to NYU's career counseling center and they, you know, put you through a bunch of tests. They ask you a bunch of questions. And the counselor who was amazing said to me, you know, after all of this, it seems like you love science and you love academia and learning, why did you never do anything in the sciences? And I said, well, I thought you needed to be a genius to be a scientist. <laughs> and she laughed just like you. Um, but I meant it, which shows you my state of mind at the time. We decided that I had two passions, neuroscience and physics. And if I wanted to do anything in physics, that required a new undergraduate degree. And that's not an option, right? <laughs> so I, I said, let's, let's talk about neuroscience. And she said, all right. And this plan is incredible. I don't know how she came up with it. She said, you could take some classes while you're working to get into a master's program in neuropsychology. That won't do anything for you in and of itself. But if you do a lab-based program and a thesis-based program, you could use that to apply for PhD programs in neuroscience. And honestly, that's exactly what I did.
0: (laughs) That's so great. And it's so good to hear how you were able to tap into resources to, you know, give you suggestions on how to go about doing that. And I'm sure at some point. In this entire process, you were also hearing maybe about informational interviews as, you know, an important but sometimes intimidating step when you're figuring out what you might want to do. Did you do any informational interviews throughout this process while you were either deciding to pursue the PhD or even after receiving your PhD so that you could, you know, figure out how other people had approached this in the past and then, you know, take that advice and make the most of it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So at that point in time, I'd never heard that term and, you know, didn't know anything about it. But while I was doing my PhD, I realized about midway through, I never make things easy for myself, by the way. I realized about <laughs> midway through that I loved science. I loved neuroscience. I loved medicine and I definitely wanted to continue on that path, but I didn't want to be an academic. And the only thing school was preparing me for, because it's the traditional path, was to be an academic. So I learned that the really only way I was going to figure out what else to do was to work really hard. And that's when I learned from somebody about informational interviewing. And I probably, over the course of two years, did close to a 100. Um, it was super intimidating for me at the beginning, like, like, like hands shaking when getting on the phone, when writing the email. And by the end of it, it was like I was an old pro. And I'll say it was worth doing because it served me throughout my whole career, including now and including for the rest of it. Like you always need to be able to network with people, talk to them, ask questions, even when you're in your, in your defined career, but trying to move up or move over, et cetera.
0: Yeah, I feel like people put a lot of pressure on networking, especially when you use that word, but it really is just talking and learning from other people's lived experiences, right?
1: Yeah. And someone said to me once, and this is so true, don't be nervous. People love talking about themselves. They said, you know, I would send out for every 10 messages I sent out asking somebody for, you know, an informational interview, I'd get two responses, but that's okay. You send another 10, another 10, maybe the next time I get three, two, three, two. And you just, you're patient with yourself, you're patient with others. And you know that the people who are responding back are the ones who want to be there, right? The ones who probably like me, had someone do that for them and now want to give back and so if as long as you are respectful prepared for your conversation thoughtful you listen and then send a nice little note after of thanks uh, people are delighted to talk to you
0: well so after finishing your phd you then went to working for a boutique consulting firm what did you learn from that experience and how did it help you transition into your next positions
1: So what came out of all that informational interviews was that I really wanted to be in the business of science, the business of medicine. I wanted to be closer to therapies and treatments that were actually having an impact on patients, whereas I was really at like early stage discovery research for my PhD program. And so I got a lot of advice that said you can either go get an MBA, which I was definitely not going to do because I had three degrees already and like no time to work. Or you could go work at a management consulting firm and they basically teach you while paying you what you would learn in an MBA. That's what they're happy to train, but they will value your degree, especially if you work for a firm that is working with the pharma, biopharma industry, they will value your degree because you can't teach someone easily the things that I had just learned over the last, you know, five years. And some of the inherent things that come with being somebody with advanced degrees, like good critical thinking capabilities, good communication skills, you know, all of those kind of softer skills as well. And so that is why I targeted management consulting companies.
0: You've had so many different experiences since your time in management consulting. Can you talk about what you experienced during that time and what ultimately brought you back to Pfizer?
1: Yeah, absolutely. When I left Pfizer the first time after the competitive intelligence job, I left because a man who I worked with very closely, who was very senior in his career, he had been a CEO of biotech companies before coming to Pfizer, he decided to go back to biotech startup world and be a CEO of a startup biotech in the regenerative medicine space. And he asked me to come with him as his right hand person. And it was a very scary move. It was probably one of the scariest, if not the scariest ones I've had thus far. Huge change, risky, you know, very risky biotech startups usually fail. And so I thought it over hard. I got advice from friends and from colleagues that I I like, but I decided to go with him. And I'll say it was one of the best experiences of my professional life for two reasons. One, it was super fun. Like, that is kind of my dream job. I really love the biotech startup space. I love wearing a lot of hats. I love problem solving. Like, I just love it. The other thing is, somebody asked me when I was thinking through whether I wanted to go, what is your biggest fear with this job? And then, you know, figure out if you can live with that. And I said, my biggest fear is not that we will fail three, four, five years from now, because I'll have had this great experience and I can always leverage that to get another job. My biggest fear is that I'm going to, that the company will fail in a year or less. And then the experience won't be considered like enough. And I'll be sort of at this stuck point. And that's exactly what happened. (laughs) I say that. And I tell this story because it was my biggest fear and it all worked out. (laughs) And it's made my risk tolerance so much higher, and I'm so happy I had that. I came back to Pfizer because of a person. A previous mentor of mine, a woman named Kirsten, who was just, is just an amazing person. She was starting a new role at Pfizer, and she was building her team. And she said, you know, come join me. And it was an amazing opportunity. It was their essential health business strategy group. I'd never done any of the things involved in that role at all, but I knew I was smart, I knew I could figure things out, I had a high degree of trust in this person, and so I came to join her and I learned a ton in that role. And then everything I've done since then has sort of been opportunistic, marching me in a in a direction that I wanted to get to, that I'd like to get to.
0: And now a word from the NYU Entrepreneurial Institute.
2: My name is Jen Curtis, and I am the assistant director of the NYU Entrepreneurial Institute. We are a dedicated team of eight startup experts offering programs, resources, events, and coaching to help NYU startups start up. We support all the different NYU schools and colleges, host over 200 events a year, have over 200 mentors in our network, and 188 startups have participated in our accelerators including Summer Launchpad. Whether you have an idea looking to join a startup team or looking to fundraise, we can support you. Most of our events and programs are hosted at the Leslie E. Lab, located at 16 Washington Place, where aspiring NYU entrepreneurs from across all of NYU schools and colleges, be they students, faculty, or researchers, can meet to connect, collaborate, and tap into a vast array of resources to help develop their ideas and inventions into startup companies. Please visit our website at entrepreneur.nyu.edu and subscribe to our newsletter, to stay up to date on our offerings and opportunities. Hope to see you at the Love the lab
0: Now back to the show. Well, so when you came back, uh, obviously you were in this position. Um, and then in 2019, you moved into a new role at Pfizer as the vaccine and hospital strategy lead. Like I just mentioned, that was in 2019. So, you know, not too long after, obviously, the the COVID-19 pandemic hit the world. What were your responsibilities originally when you took that position? And how did that change once the pandemic hit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in 2018, in August of 2018, Pfizer did a huge reorg and sold off and separated our essential health business. So you could no longer be the strategy lead for that because the company no longer existed. So my job was eliminated. And part of the reorg created a new strategy group that worked very closely with the commercial business. And I, that was in line with where I want to go in my career. Right. So I went on to be the lead of the vaccines and hospital businesses strategy team. That was all 2019 and then 2020, about half of it, right, like we get hard into the pandemic and Pfizer is a big part of the response to it. So because that was so sudden and because there was such a need to be urgent and move quickly in getting a vaccine that could help save lives and protect people, the way for the most part that Pfizer staffed for that was putting people in temporary positions. So taking them from something they were doing and saying, okay, you're now doing this, right? And I was asked, I had the enormous honor of being asked to lead the global launch navigation effort. So how to get the vaccine appropriately to countries around the world. I was a, a, a key point for that. And it was such a cool opportunity, really something I'll remember for the rest of my life.
0: I mean, that's pretty high stakes. That's, that's a lot that you were taking on. While we were all, you know, just trying to process what was happening, this huge uh, life Altering event. How did you manage, you know, the the mental and the psychological stresses that came with taking on this very visible, very high stakes position?
1: Yeah, it was pretty crazy. I'll say the good side, beyond the like, you know, honor and amazing experiences and the learn, like there was so much good that came with it. But the immediate good side was I certainly couldn't sit around all day and think about you know, my fears of the pandemic, like so busy with work, you know, like uh, that, that was a huge help. So I'll say it was nice to be busy. I was probably too busy, but it was nice to be busy. You know, how did I manage the stress? I, I did the best I could. I don't know if I succeeded all the time. Probably two key things. Exercise is very, very important to me. It's something I prioritize every day in my normal life. And I I knew that I needed to make time for that, even if it was only 20 minutes a day or, you know, even if it was only 10 minutes a day, but like I I usually tried for at least 30. And so there was a nice break in between when Europe went to sleep and Asia woke up like around the five o'clock, six o'clock timeline where I would make sure to get exercise and a walk in. So that was strategy one. Strategy two was to be uh, transparent. With people, like, I think there was a lot of crying on conference calls that I'd never seen happen before and hasn't happened since. (laughs) And I'd say, you know, not with everybody, pick your time, pick your moment, but like, it's okay if you're there with trusted people to be like, I feel I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time because usually the other person says the same thing and then says to you, like, Don't be ridiculous. You are, you know, knocking this out of the park. You're doing a great job. You have to be kinder to yourself. Like, you get people to support you. And you do that with your trusted work colleagues as well as with your friends and family and and people outside of work.
0: What advice do you have for people when they're trying something new, as you've had to so many times over the course of your career?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. I'd say, okay, I've taken on a lot of things in my post-college life that have been not my area of expertise. So joining a neuroscience PhD program when I did zero science in undergraduate school, and then like the COVID role, there was an undefined, you know, figure it out. The strategy role, the first time I took it on, never done that work before. So if I had to then say, well, what would that advice be for other people? It would be, don't assume that you need to figure out everything on yourself. Like, it was a really big transition going into a PhD program in neuroscience. I mean, I had done master's work in neuropsychology, but I had to take a PhD level course in biochemistry, never having done any type of science course that would prepare you for that. Okay. I went to the first class. I did not understand anything, the teacher said, literally, it was as if he was talking in a different language, because it is a different language, right? I had a panic attack, I left, i was sobbing, like, while running back to, you know, the home base, wherever that was at the time. And I, they, they had given me advisors, I called a meeting with my advisors in a full blown panic and was like, I shouldn't be here, I can't do this, Blah, 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 like all of that. And they said, relax, you can do this. Take the giant textbook that weighs about 10 pounds and read the chapter ahead of time, as many times as you need to, because then you'll be learning the language and memorizing the facts that'll help you understand what we're about to talk about. And I did that. The other thing I did was I asked a ton of questions during class. Like I am never afraid of looking stupid by asking questions. And I really think that's a good thing. I'd raise my hand every five seconds. I'm sure I was driving the professors crazy. But I needed to, or else I wouldn't have understood what was going on to the extent that I thought everybody else did. Well, lo and behold, I learned later when we're all studying together in study group, they're like, you say all the questions we're afraid to ask. (laughs) They didn't know either. They just didn't want to be the one to ask the question. So that was the PhD. But I honestly, I still use that all the way through my career. I'm never afraid to ask a stupid question. And usually, it's something everybody else has been asking. And it always helps me understand what we're doing and what we should do better.
0: Well, so in addition to everything that you do at Pfizer, you also find time to make sure that you're giving back to the NYU community, currently as a board member for the Leslie E-Lab, and you were previously also on the board of trustees. What inspired you to get involved with those activities and how do you make time for this with your position?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think what inspired me originally was probably more like selfish-slash-responding-to-advice because I was brand new in my career, leaving a PhD program, starting in a totally new world of business. And people told me, listen, build your networks. A great way to do that is with your alumni community. And I found that to be a very rich experience, and I'm glad I did it. And so then what I learned as I went along this answers the second half of your questions. If you choose things that you're passionate about and know what to say no to and what to say yes to and take on things that you can actually commit to, don't, don't volunteer for things that you're not going to be able to follow up on. Right. But if you do that, it's so rewarding. Like doing even conversations like this are so rewarding for me. I meet really interesting people. I learn about what others care about. For NYU, I get to be back in this school environment with young people at a totally different place than I am now. And it's like so energy providing and, and fun. And I just love seeing people at that stage in their life. So it's an overall great experience, but you pick, you pick the things that you're passionate about and that give you energy back. So you have the energy to put into it.
0: Well, those are all the questions that I had for you. So. Th- Really, the only other thing I want to ask you is, you know, what's next for you?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, good question. I don't know. It's always a little TBD, I think continuing to be involved in the NYU community for sure. I really do enjoy the different ways that I'm part of the organization and, you know, continue to, I, I continue to network with people and, and learn where the next step of my career should go and try and help others do the same. So I, I think it's probably more of the same, but the same as constant change. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love that. Well, we're, we're so thrilled to have had you. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk to me, share your experience with the entire NYU community. This has been Sarah Rosenthal with another episode of All in a Day's Work. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about the services that are offered at the Wasserman Center, you can log on to our career portal, Handshake, through your NYU homepage. Today's episode was hosted by Sarah Rosenthal with episode guest Jessica Swartz. We're produced by Sarah Rosenthal and Ben Barzilai, edited by Ben Barzilai, and created with support from Emily Anderson, Danielle Crystal, Haley Garifalo, and Joseph Mercadante. That's all in a day's work. Thanks for listening.